Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host at Neldor Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled, It's Not You, It's Me, Pastor Stephen explores what Jesus meant when he told his disciples they were not of this world. What do Christians mean today when we say we're in but not of this world? And how do we know if we're suffering for the gospel or for another reason? We'll discuss those questions and more today as we explore John's gospel, chapter 15, 18 through 16, 4. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So Stephen, we're in the middle of a, of a conversation uh, here that Jesus had with his disciples, and there's a theme we're talking about, the Holy Spirit and so forth. Well, but remind us again, what is the context of this discussion he's having with his disciples? Sure. So this is the last evening that he spends with the disciples before they uh, the mob comes and arrests Jesus. And um, Bob preached a couple weeks ago on the Last Supper. This is the you know institution of communion um, that Jesus celebrates with his disciples in the upper room. And then after he they have the meal, Judas gets up and leaves, and then they there's this time of discussion where Jesus is uh, talking with them, um, speaking with them. And then they get up and leave out of the house, out of the neighborhood, and they head to the Garden of Gethsemane for Jesus to go and pray, as was probably a custom of his. Um, and uh, we know what happens there in the Garden of Gethsemane, but as they're walking, most likely they're walking through vineyards, and Jesus begins to summarize all the things that he has already told the disciples using the vines as an analogy, Mm -hmm. Um, and what he is doing is preparing the disciples to experience life and ministry after he's gone. Um, He is articulating the reality that he will die and be buried, they won't see him anymore, then he'll return uh, through his resurrection, but then he'll also ascend into heaven, and they won't see him again for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's the life that he is preparing them for here in this conversation. Okay, and in this conversation, he says these famous words. He says, um, you are not of this world, and I chose you out of this world, um, and is this is when the uh, the bumper stickers were made? In in a, right That's then right. probably yes. yeah uh-huh. right on then. the back of a donkey or a chariot yes. or something they said that yeah yeah in not but what is what does he mean by that right so to understand we we have to realize that the use John's use of the word world has been studied uh, at length. Because it seems to be different than the way it's often used in the rest of Scripture, in the Old Testament, and in particular, the way that the other gospel writers use the word world. Um, And for John, it seems like world is uh, one of the ideas of of, of one family of Mm. of the earth, right? So the world is the family of those who don't believe, who are still... Um, under the domain of sin and darkness and death, with Satan as the head of the family, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the the God's family, those who are being called into His kingdom, being redeemed and saved through the work of Jesus on the cross, are not part of that family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, a lot of the a lot of the other gospel writers will identify the difference between Jews and Gentiles as like the big um, separator, um, the dividing line. But John doesn't do that, um, and one of the reasons that we would point to is because John is writing in ninety ish A.D when so much of the Jewish community has been scattered across the Mediterranean area. Mm. And so the identity marker of being uh, Jewish versus Gentile, that line is starting to get blurred more and more, um, and that the identity of the Jewish community is less cohesive. Mm -hmm. And so instead, John points out that the church is now the family of God. And so being part of God's family means this is where you draw your identity. This is where you um, look for encouragement and strength and support. This is uh, who uh, you help when they have times of need, right? But the world is the other family out there. And Mm. so um, there is a whole different set of rules and expectations that govern the world than those part of God's family. And so the world is not like everybody and everything, as we might expect. It is the community of non-believers, if you could call it a community. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so there's, there's it, during this last words, preparing them for life without him, uh, there's some good things and there's some bad things. Um, some of the bad stuff comes out in this, in terms of the world hating them. Um, but I want to ask you a, more of a global question before we get kind of back into this text. Because uh, this, I know people have asked you this, mm. does life get better when you become a Christian? And if not, why do it? Sure. Um, so my answer to that question is, yes, life gets better, but not in the way that we are tempted to think. Mm. Um, it's easy for people, um, whether they are already believers or not believers, to believe that following Jesus, or perhaps following Jesus better, uh, is a way to help ease um, some of the worldly problems or concerns that we have, right? We might think of things like financial security, personal or professional fulfillment, comfort, uh, what we'd call happiness. An improved life, we often think, means those areas of our lives are being uh, addressed, attended to. Um, That is not what following Jesus addresses. In fact, Mm. if we look at the lives of people who followed him closely, his disciples, uh, they don't fit any of those molds. Their lives do not improve in that way. Right. Um, And so uh, Jesus is promising here in this passage, actually, things are going to be hard um, Mm -hmm. for you. And so that's that's important. But then I answered yes. And so uh, let me explain why I answered yes. Life gets better because life becomes more and more uh, the way it should be. Um, Mm. And I mean that in the sense that uh, God is the one who created all humanity to live and function and thrive in a particular Mm -hmm. way, with a particular um, uh, set of heart longings, right? And Mm. sin distorts and disrupts and twists all of that and messes with our true living. And when Jesus saves us, he begins to remake our lives and our hearts into the lives and hearts that God intended us to have, right? God is working in all things, which means there are no throwaway experiences. There are no throwaway relationships. There's nothing that you can just 
have to just get over and move on, right? God is at work in all things, which makes the world and your life better. Or, as we've been saying throughout this sermon series, it makes your life more abundant, Hmm. because you are connected to something, someone greater, and that someone is working in your life at all times and in all ways Mm -hmm. to bring you more alive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's the promise of the of the helper, and I'm sure where that is. It's all part of this conversation that we're right. having. Um, the hard part in this passage is the idea that that Christians or followers of Jesus are going to encounter opposition or persecution, and we certainly don't have it as bad here in the West as Christians do around the world, who who face serious physical. Uh, threat for being followers of Jesus. Uh, but let me ask you this, so when, when Christians, let's just put it into our context, encounter opposition, mm. uh, can we be confident that it is persecution based on hatred of the gospel, or might there be another reason, for example, behaving badly? And, and how do we tell the difference? Sure. Um, that's a great question. I think the reality... For rea- one of our listeners, by the way. There we go. We we'll got, we, shout out. Great. Great in-depth question, and I think yes. the the reality is that uh, without a doubt, there is always uh, should always be an awareness of uh, both of those contributors to being rejected or oppressed or however you want to talk about this. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it would be uh, silly to believe, oh, I'm doing everything correct, and this person just hates me because I'm a Christian. Right. Um, that completely ignores the reality of our sin, right? Which means sin has touched everything, right? It doesn't mean that you are definitely doing something wrong, but you mm-hmm. can't write that off as a possibility. But the right. same is true on the other side. It would be silly to go, oh, the person is, you know, making fun of me or, you know, writing me up and making me go talk to the boss or doing whatever just because I, I didn't do this the right way. I didn't talk about Jesus the right way. Like, it's all on me. We can't ignore the reality that we are presented in Scripture that there is spiritual warfare right now happening between the principalities of the air and the Mm -hmm. powers of this world and and Jesus. That is happening. And so we have to have both of these things in our minds when we start to experience uh, rejection or, you know, being mocked or uh, oppression of some kind that there is a possibility for sure that we have done something of our sinfulness that is mm-hmm. causing this person to react the way they're doing. And at the same time, there is a greater conflict occurring of which we have been drawn into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my response to this question would be, you have to be able to examine yourself honestly. Mm-hmm. How have I spoken? How have I behaved? Have I done anything out of a sinful, prideful, self-centered motivation that might have led to this? Mm-hmm. And how can I also be free from being solely responsible and recognize that God is fighting a battle and there is a opposition to the gospel, which I know is in my life, and mm-hmm. Jesus is changing me, and so it could be both and. Yeah. No, good. Um, I mean, you, you're discussing kind of this, uh, 
this tension, right, in uh, a Christian's life, and you brought this up in the, the sermon. Uh, so w- what is the tension that we, that we feel as followers of Jesus? Yeah, I, I tried to explore two, two different aspects of this idea of tension, mm-hmm. right? Because Jesus is talking to the disciples in a historical context, right? He knows that they're going to be violently persecuted um, for their belief in him, their proclamation of his resurrection, and they were, right? They experienced uh, martyrdom before John is writing, his gospel, mm. right? And mm-hmm. so John is writing Jesus's words with the historical knowledge that the the believers across the the Mediterranean in the Roman Empire are probably going to be experiencing persecution shortly as well. Mm-hmm. And so he, they are writing about specific he John is writing about Jesus's explanation of specific persecution. For us, it is, as you mentioned, not as violent uh, often. It is not as um, overt. There are many Christians in the world who experience terrible, terrible persecution. And there are people in—there are Christians, brothers and sisters here in in our culture, in Silicon Valley, who experience oppression for being Mm -hmm. believers. And Jesus is talking about the tension between the new life of a Christian— and the old life that they have been saved from, right? Back to this mm. family idea that we've talked about. This is the the, the tense rub between the two families, um, mm. and we will experience that at some point in some some way. Jesus is promising here. But the other idea of tension that I tried to uh, explore, look at, unpack was the reality that each one of us has tension in our own hearts uh, because we have this uh, two... Uh, these two uh, personalities is the wrong word, but these two uh, realities going on, right? We have the Mm -hmm. old sinful self and the new redeemed righteousness that Jesus has gifted us, and those two things are at war in us, trying Mm. to drive our desires and our motivations and um, call to us to, to... fill our needs and meet our needs in certain ways, right? The Apostle Paul talks about this a lot in Romans 7, how these two natures are at Mm -hmm. war in him. And the same is true for us, right? There is a tension between rejecting the good new life of dependence that God has given us uh, in favor of an independent, self-centered, self-fulfilling life that Mm -hmm. we are still living out of often because of our sin. So tension is all around, but it's also inside. Yeah, it's really important that we explore this or, or explain this to new believers, too, who, who become followers and go, wow, I, this, this, is, this is hard. Right. I mean, even, even if you're following Jesus all of your life, that tension is always going to be there, old self and new self. Correct. And of course, we want the new self to win, right? We want the new self to be the one we're identifying with the most. But so, how do we do that? How do we do? Do we somehow push the the, the side, the new self, and try to? How do we? How do we mitigate against the, the old self coming back and wreaking havoc? Yeah, well, it is really hard, and and as you said, this is a a process uh, of growth over the course of our lives. So we will never be fully new selves mm-hmm. on this side of Jesus's return. Um, we will still have this this conflict, this tension 
Um, and what we see in Scripture is that we actually cannot do it on our own. We can live out of our new self only with the help of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the simplest route to get from life now to abundant life, right, which is, you know, if you're talking percentages, if life now is like 80% old self, 20% new self, how do you mm-hmm. flip that on its head Yeah, right. and get to 20% old self, 80% new, new self, which we would mm-hmm. call abundant life? Mm-hmm. Um, that is actually a really challenging process, and it is mm-hmm. bringing those areas of incongruous living, right, mm-hmm. where we are not living up to our <coughs> new selves, not living out of, out of our new selves, bringing those before God, right? Repenting, confessing. Uh, asking others for help and, and depending on the body of Christ in the midst of our sin, believing that God forgives us for our failure and that He empowers us uh, to live out of our new selves, asking Him mm. to allow us to live and have our new life reign supreme. Um, that's the process, the the mm. rhythm of life that we've been invited into recognizing that God is the one who is doing it, God is growing us at the pace He wants us to grow, which means it might be different than the pace you want to grow. Right. One of the things you mentioned, uh, and this is actually from Jen, our women's ministry director, she uh, apparently said this to you guys, which this is tough, like, learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I got to tell you, I like to be comfortable uh, how do we learn to be uh, okay with being uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I how do, we do am, this right. I am not comfortable yeah. with being uncomfortable, right. and that covers all kinds of like, you know, surface issues as well as like deep, deep things. Un- being uncomfortable is not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think has helped a lot has been to read the biographies or or blogs or stories whatever you want to read of 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 real believers mm. more often right <clears throat> think about people in history who have been you know propped up as these spiritual giants who you know they're robust men of faith women of faith who have done amazing things um, but you go and you read either their biographies or their own words about themselves um, and you see how they were just as flawed and uncomfortable as we are. Mm. Um, and you see that the life of faithfulness is not a life that is free of worry or concern, but is actually just a different way to engage with those worries or concerns, a different place, an outlet to mm-hmm. take them right to God rather yeah. than finding a way to quiet them, compare them away, numb them, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, I, I, there's so many to point to. I think one, one of the, you know, stories that c- has been in my mind more often um, is the, uh, she was a worship leader and then got cancer and then went on uh, America's Got Talent. Her name is Night Nightbird. Oh yeah. Um, and I've used yeah. her blog several times. She uh, passed away recently, uh, but just the depth of her reality that she pours out in her own writings, um, there was a sense that I got of uh, I am. I and she says it many times. I'm not okay, mm-hmm. um, and. 
I know that I am still right where God wants me to be, right? Mm. And and it mirrors in human language that I understand and can identify with a lot better oftenly. Yeah. Oftenly? A okay, lot that, more we, we can, often. We can make up words here, no problem. That's right. A lot yeah. more often than yes. like reading about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane mm. being not okay with what's about to happen to him. And yet saying, I trust you, Father, that you have me where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I hear that. I've read that. I've known that since I was a kid. It's still really hard to identify with that because right. he is the God of the universe. Right. So reading right. these stories, and you go all the way back to the early church, the church fathers, you go to you know the early years of like the, the missionaries going to... Um, you know the Chinese Inland Mission, right, and the right. in, you know Jonathan Taylor and mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Johnson, and all, all these uh, people, uh, faithful men and women. You read some of the reality of their lives, and you realize everybody is uncomfortable, but people come to realize they are exactly where God wants them to be, and right. that doesn't make it comfortable; it just makes them confident in the midst of the uncomfortable. And in reading those stories, I think what you see over and over again is the fact of of an absolute dependence on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so one of the good things this passage promises, or Jesus promises in this passage, is that uh, He will be in us uh, and connect us to the Trinity. Explain how is He in us and how does He do that? Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit uh, last time when we talked Mm -hmm. about abiding, um, because uh, Jesus uses this language, John chooses the word abide, um, because there is a sense of setting up shop, right? Like mm. uh, moving in and taking up residence in. Um, and that is the the relationship that Jesus invites his disciples to have with him and says he will have with his disciples, Right, mm-hmm. it's the I, I and the Father, and the Father and me, and I and you, and you and me, and me and the Father, and that whole thing that we talked mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus talks about this deep relationship between Himself and the His followers, His brothers and sisters, whom He has redeemed, as well as His deep relationship with the Trinity, mm-hmm. between Father and Holy Spirit. And so what we see is that our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us is actually uniting <laughs> us to the Trinity. And so we have mm. this amazing relationship with the, the God who is three in one in a way that we uh, just can't even fathom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the things that, that, that this passage says directly, and it's a, a phrase that I think we need to unpack a little bit. It says that the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. W- what does that mean? So uh, the simplest way to understand it is for, it comes from one of the um, commentators that I read. The Holy Spirit is Christocentric, right? So that means Christ-centered, Christ-focused. And what Jesus is saying is that everything that Jesus has said and done the Holy Spirit will then magnify. It will bring to life. It will press into the hearts of believers across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes what Jesus has said and done active in the lives of people who weren't even there to hear or see it. 
Hmm. right? So bearing witness in the sense of proclaiming what is true uh, with authority. Um, We talked about it in the sense of a courtroom, right? Like a witness is someone who speaks authoritatively based on experience. And so the Holy Spirit is going to show um, that everything Jesus has said and done is, in fact, true. Hmm. Uh, And what's powerful about it is that Jesus says he himself didn't make up his own words, but the Father has given Jesus everything to say and to do, to rule over, to be responsible for. The Father gives it to Jesus, and Jesus has, in turn, given it to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, is the one who applies the message of the Trinity powerfully to the lives of those who follow Jesus, even when it's people who were never around to see Jesus in the flesh. Mm-hmm. How, how do those truths bring strength to us? Yes, this is, this is um, one of the things that I think we uh, miss out on easiest, right? I wouldn't say most, but I would say easiest because it tends to be the things that we think are basics, right? The mm-hmm. the truths of Scripture that are the truths of Jesus's message here, uh, that you are a sinner, that you are uh, in need of a Savior, and that Jesus is the one who saves you. And at this point in the story, will save the disciples. For us living on this side of the story, it is Jesus who has saved and it is God who will finish all the work that he has started in our lives, which means the strength, we receive the strength from the reality that it doesn't matter how we perform. What -hmm. matters is God is in charge, right? It doesn't matter if we've gotten it right finally, as long as we repent and we trust in God to change us and we choose to follow him repenting when we fail the next time, right? So strength in the sense of, as there's a a great book called The Pressure's Off. Um, Mm. If you know that your performance doesn't dictate acceptance, chances are you're going to feel freer and stronger to do what you're invited to do. Mm. So you you, uh, counsel all kinds of people as a pastor. I I wonder if you've seen people uh, set free by those truths. This is, you know, it's this been really interesting to to preach on these um this passage of scripture as we've been going through our men's fall study uh in the curriculum called sonship mm. because these go hand in hand. A lot of what we're talking about on Wednesday at lunch and Thursday evenings has bled over into what I will be have been preaching about on Sunday mornings. And one of the things that is really been great is as we continue to talk um, there, the barrier of um, confession, I would say, mm-hmm. has come down. Like everybody has to kind of feel each other out. Like, hey, is this a safe place for me to talk about? Right. Like how angry I got on my way to this meeting, um, how big of a fight I got in with my spouse, how um, you know, how much I've judged my employees this week. Like, can I talk mm-hmm. about that? Right. And as we've explored the reality of our sin, of Jesus's work, and the reality of God completing what he started, uh, the, the pressure to maintain a good exterior has just fallen. Hmm. And that we have had some really incredibly deep conversations, which end with us encouraging one another to look to 
to Jesus and rest in his work mm-hmm. rather than be afraid, rather than, you know, try to posture in a, in a way that, you know, projects a good light to the people around us, the other people in the group, our spouses, mm-hmm. our families, you know, our roommates, whoever it is. And so, like, freedom in the deepest sense of the word, um, where there is no longer a expectation of self to mm. have the right answer or do the right thing, but just to be, right? Like a deep yeah. exhale and re- rest. And what a foreign concept to uh, those of us in the Silicon Valley, right? Resting yeah. in the work of someone else. Yeah. It's, it's, it goes against every high-achieving, performing person that we, in our congregation. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Or on so, this podcast. Or on this podcast, exactly. That's right. Okay, that's us too. Um, okay, last question, and this, and we, we've talked about this before, but it is part of this whole conversation, the Holy Spirit. Um, I think as the more we talk about the Holy Spirit being a helper, uh, the comforter, uh, the teacher, um, how do we tap into the Holy Spirit? Like, how do we get more of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Yes, yeah, so we got to be clear about uh, the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence. So... Yeah. We know that when uh, we are saved, that the Spirit uh, dwells in our hearts then, and that there's nothing we can do to, you know, make the Holy Spirit leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as though we are wandering around like trying to find the right outlet that gives us the Holy Spirit life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't find it, we're out of luck. We have the Holy Spirit. If you are in in Jesus, if you have been, you know profess your faith in him and trust that he died on the cross for you, or as Paul puts it in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You are united to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. What we are talking about is um, experiencing the the renewal of the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way um, that, is, that is completely, you know... Uh, partnership level, right? So the Holy Spirit's mm-hmm. always at work. We talked about this the other day when we talked about um, the difference between the Holy Spirit and the conscience, right? The Holy Spirit is at work, whether you like Him to be at work or not. And so what we are talking about is, how do we uh, experience the work of the Holy Spirit in areas we are wanting Him to work, mm. right? And so I think one of the things <clears throat> that we uh, see is that there are spiritual disciplines that help bring us into that place. But there are four things uh, that I would say in particular, mm-hmm. uh, we... Uh, uh, I, okay, so four, five, right? So uh, All right, you can do five. five right, so yeah. we're going we're gonna to say the Word, um, right. which is, uh, you know, reading and meditating on Jesus's words, which we have mm-hmm. seen here, the Holy Spirit... Uh, we'll call those to mind. We, we've heard that the Holy Spirit is the one who will help us understand, believe, and live out of the words of Jesus. So the Word is one. Sacraments are the other, right? So baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week because we believe that we need to be connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit as often as possible, right? Amen. Yeah. Those two things also together uh, make up what one that is kind of like a, you know, you get an asterisk with it, but worship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So worship in the sense of gathered communal worship, yes, but also like the outpouring of our 
adoration and praise to God at, at all points of the day, but worship um, is is important because it is in a community, as we see, that the Holy Spirit is active, right? Not that he's not active in an individual, but there is so much more power and truth brought mm. to the surface in the community of believers, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have prayer, right? We see that the Holy Spirit draws us to God, connects us to God, and gives the the, the access we have to God comes through our union with Jesus, which is through the Holy Spirit, which we also see in Hebrews that even when we don't know the right words to pray, it is the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us by speaking our hearts to the Father, bringing these requests that we don't even know um, mm. to God. And then the final one I would say is fellowship, engaging with others, living life together, as we see at the beginning of the book of Acts, devoting uh, our group time to the apostles' teaching, to sharing meals, having all things in common, which means celebrating together, mourning together, uh, enjoying life together, suffering Mm. together, um, in the midst of community. That's where fellowship is. Those are all really good ways to tap into the Holy Spirit and enjoy how He is working in us, right? Doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. good and comfortable and happy. We do know, of course, the the illustrations used of the Holy Spirit's work are painful, um, yeah. but it means that we get to see the Holy Spirit at work um, as opposed to just knowing and trusting that the Holy Spirit is doing something and I don't know what it is. Right. Well, the amazing thing is that we can do that um, partly on our own, but really, I think one of the key messages you're saying is let's let's get together, whether it's guys getting together for Bible studies, uh, come worship together at our church, fellowship time, because when we all get together, the Spirit is is united in a way that's pretty special. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thanks again for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It was good. The title of Stephen's sermon is It's Not You, It's Me. It's part of our sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. We hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.